0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love open your Bibles or turn on your device to Psalm number 1 this morning, we are beginning a new series called Summer in the Psalms. And so we're going to begin with Psalm 1, which is kind of unique in the Psalter. It's sort of a, the, the gateway to the, the rest of the of the Psalms. And so we're going to look at, at Psalm 1. It's, a, it's also just a great text Not only for our graduates, but but really for anybody. This is about making wise choices in life. Psalm 1 is a a wisdom psalm. And so we're going to look at it this morning. And we'll look at the whole psalm together. Follow along in your copy of of God's Word. If you're watching on live stream, I just want to invite you to have a Bible open and, and follow along as well. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin." The story of Martin Luther's conversion it never ceases to stir me. I mean, here's a guy who did everything that he possibly could to establish his own righteousness before God. He would go to confessional multiple times a day to, for the smallest. Of offenses. He fasted to the point that he ruined his health. He engaged in all kinds of, of self condemnation. But Luther was honest enough to know that deep down he was still unrighteous and that God was perfectly righteous and, the, and that the righteousness of God terrified him because Luther knew at the deepest level that he was a sinner before God despite all of his attempts to establish his own righteousness. And then one day he was reading the book of Romans and he came to see there that the way that a human being is made right before God is by being joined by faith to the only righteous one and that is Christ. Because Christ lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And now he is raised, he is ascended, he is at the right hand of the Father as an intercessor and an advocate for all who trust in him. And when we trust in Christ, his perfect record of righteousness is credited to the account of the believer. And Luther said, when I came to understand that, It was as if the gates of paradise opened and I walked through. Now Psalm one is is sort of like a a, a gate. The great church father, Jerome, compared the book of Psalms to like a large house. And he said Psalm one is kind of like the entryway into that house and within this house, There are all kinds of treasures for believers. The great church father Athanasius called psalms an epitome of the whole scriptures. The great Cappadocian father Basil the Great called psalms a compendium of all theology. Old Testament scholar Trimper Longman says, as we read the psalms, we hear of God as creator, redeemer, protector, sustainer, provider, guide, and more. We hear that God is our shepherd, our king, our warrior, our mother, our father, our teacher, our judge, and more. But not only do the Psalms teach us about who God is, the Psalms teach us about who we are. Calvin called the Psalms a mirror to the soul. Because every conceivable human emotion is on full display, raw display. In the Psalms, and the psalmists were consciously writing for people who would come later on, people like you and me, who were dealing with all kinds of challenges and struggles in our lives, as they did. More than anything, though, we see Christ in the Psalms. You know, Jesus says in Luke twenty-four forty-four. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This summer, we're going to look at several different Psalms, but you're going to see Jesus shining through every one of them. Now, Psalm 1 is what's called a wisdom Psalm. It's about how to live. It's about making godly choices in our lives. And so it's a great psalm for our graduates. It's a great psalm for all of us. And as I said, in a way, Psalm 1 is sort of like the gateway to the rest of the Psalms. Because if you reject the path that God is speaking about here in Psalm 1, then the other 149 Psalms make no sense. But if you take the path that God offers in Psalm 1, then the rest of the psalter opens wide open for you. So what do we see here in this first psalm? We're going to look at three things today. Your association, your meditation, and your destination. First of all, your association. And we see that in verse 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Psalm 1 tells us from the very beginning that it is ultimately about uh, happiness. You know, um, making godly choices does involve sacrifice and discipline, but the ultimate result is happiness. Charles Spurgeon says this, everyone is seeking happiness. If that is true, then everyone should read this Psalm. (laughs) For it directs us where happiness is to be found in its highest degree and purest form. God is not anti-happiness. The Bible is not anti-happiness. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now our problem is that we settle for so much less joy than God has for us. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. God has so much more for us than anything this world could possibly offer. But turning to him does involve turning from things that would harm us. So let's look again at verse 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. This is talking about making wise, godly choices in who you listen to who you associate with and who you align yourself with who or what is shaping your thinking because whoever or whatever is shaping your thinking is shaping your life are your is your thinking being shaped by a screen or by the scriptures? Who or what shapes our thinking? Who's, who's in our crew? <laughs> what does he say here in verse one? How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers? First Corinthians 15 and verse 33 says this. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, that certainly doesn't mean that we're not to have non-Christian friends. If, if we don't have any non-Christian friends, we're not gonna have any evangelistic impact. But what it does mean is that we have to be very careful that with our non-Christian friends, that we're, we're, we're lifting them up instead of them pulling us down. And, and what, it, what it also means is that it is absolutely vital and non-negotiable in our lives that that we have godly friends that can sharpen us, strengthen us in our spiritual lives. Your association. Second, your, your meditation. Your meditation, we see that in verse two. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. So while verse one is about things to avoid, Verse two is about things that we pursue. What do we pursue? We, we pursue God's word. We pursue the Lord's instruction. We delight in the Lord's instruction, which we find in the scriptures. Now listen, this is not talking about sort of a, you know, a casual, casual reading of the Bible. It's not talking about going to the Bible you know, sporadically, in times of need or times when you're, you feel troubled. It's not talking about sort of you know uh, fixating on you know, a verse here and there, once in a while, you know, kind of whenever you feel like you need a spiritual pick me up. This is talking about concentrated study of God's word. It's talking about pouring yourself, delighting in God's word so that your very blood runs biblene, as Charles Spurgeon said. It's talking about a Joshua 1.8 kind of a reading of the Bible. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it, for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. I want to give you four principles for being a person who is delighting in the word of God, okay? First of all, read it for breadth. Read it for breadth so that you're getting the big picture of what the Bible is all about, and that means reading the whole Bible. It can be done in you know 15 minutes a day or so, but find a plan Stick to that plan and keep cycling through the Bible over and over throughout your life. And what happens is, is you learn God's character. You learn God's ways and how God deals with his people. You learn God's promises so that you've got a whole storehouse of of, of spiritual riches to draw from throughout the course of your, your life. Read whole books of the Bible so that you're understanding the, the books of the Bible in their proper context and not just sort of you know uh, getting an isolated verse here or, or there. Read for breath for the big picture. Second, read for depth. Read for depth. The, the psalmist says here in verse two to, 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 to meditate on the word of God. That means that we, we chew on it. We think about what we're reading. Like read the, read the Bible with a pen or a pencil in your hand so that you're, you're actively engaging with the text. Pray the scriptures. When you read these psalms, pray the psalms. Make them your prayers. Dig. If you rake, all you get is leaves. If you dig, you get diamonds. And so read for depth. Dive, dive deep into the The word. Um, Commit commit verses to memory and and think about them. Carry them with you. That's what it means to meditate on God's word. I love what Spurgeon said about uh, meditating on God's word. He said, Reading reaps the wheat, meditation threshes it, grinds it, and makes it into bread. So read for depth. Third, read it privately. Do not buy into the lie that you could be the one Christian throughout the history of the church that could flourish spiritually without having a daily time alone with God. You block out that time each day and you make it a non-negotiable and you make it the most important event on your daily calendar, that time that you spend in prayer and in the scriptures alone with God. Read it privately and then read it, read it with others. Get involved in a Bible study with other people where you can sit around with open Bibles and open hearts and you can build one another up. You can encourage each other from the scriptures. You can give insights to one another and, and share what's happening in your lives and, and, and how you're struggling and how you're seeking to apply uh, the, the word of, of God and the, the Holy Spirit uses that to grow us in Christ and so read it with others. And if you're a graduate, you're moving on to the next course of your life, that means that wherever you are, if you're in in college or wherever you are, wherever you move or whatever with your job, it means you, you get involved in a local church. Get deeply involved in a local church. And if you're going to college, also get involved in a campus ministry like Crew, where you're gonna find brothers and sisters in Christ who can, who can help you along, right? You, you, and you're, you're walking this path together as you seek to follow the Lord. The payoff for this is huge, huge. What does he say in in verse three? Let's look at it together. Says he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Listen, a life that delights in God's word, is a flourishing life. It is a fruit-bearing life, even in times of trial and pain and difficulty, which will surely come. You will be drawing from a well that never runs dry because you're planted by that flowing stream. You've got a source of nourishment all the time that no one can take away. As you dig into the scriptures, this this is, One of the ways that we abide in Christ. Jesus says in in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Your association, your meditation, third, your destination. Your destination. Verses 4 and 5. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now, the image here is from the the grain harvest in ancient Israel. What they would do is they would take winnowing forks and they would take the, the wheat. They'd be up in a threshing, a threshing floor. Usually that was up on a hill so they could get some breeze. And so they would throw the, throw the wheat up in the air with the winnowing forks, and the good stuff, the grain, the kernels of grain would fall to the ground, but the chaff, that was like the, the, the excess, would just be, it would just be blown away by the wind. And what he's saying here is that those who reject God are going to be blown away by his judgment in the end. It's, a, it's, it's sobering. Not so for those who are his own. Look at verse six. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That means that God protects his own. Even, even if we're called to give our lives for Christ and we are martyred for the faith, That doesn't happen without God watching you every single second as his child. Philippians 121 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He is watching over you always. You cannot lose if you belong to him. He protects his own. But what does the end of verse six say? But the way of the wicked, those who reject God, the way of the wicked leads to Ruin. And that's eternal ruin. You know, graduations around the country, that's, a, that's kind of a famous time for speakers to come in and, and talk about, hey, here's, here's your path to success, you know? Here's your future, and here's, here's what success is all about. But their definition of success is money, power, fame, prestige, worldly success, Jesus says that you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. What does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? They lose it all. It's ruin, ultimate ruin. But there's something about someone that is not usually brought out. And it's this, none of us us has lived up to Psalm 1. (laughs) Not a single person in this room, not a single person who is watching. None of us have lived up to the standard of righteousness that is presented here in Psalm 1. All of us have failed to do that. Because all of us can look back on our lives and we can see times when we have made dumb choices, not godly choices. We can look at our lives and see where often we listen to the wrong people. And we took the wrong path. And we allowed the world to conform us instead of allowing the word to transform us by the renewing of our minds. That's all of us. And that is why all of us desperately need to hear what I am about to say. There is only one who has completely lived out, Psalm 1. There is only one who is the epitome of righteousness. There is only one who has always took the right path. And that is Christ. And that is why we need him and his righteousness to be credited to our account as Luther did. Jesus always took the righteous path, even when that path was a via dolorosa, the way of suffering. He took up a cross for sinners like you and me, who have failed to live up to Psalm 1. Jesus is the only righteous one. Only Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. Only Jesus rose from the dead and is now ascended as king at the right hand of God the Father almighty, advocating and interceding for those who belong to him. And when we turn to Christ in repentance and faith, when we are joined to him, the merits of his perfect righteousness, his perfect life, and his death for sinners on the cross, the merits of that, the righteousness of that is credited to our account. And we can stand before a holy God, not based on our record, but based on his. When we think about graduations, you know, this is a time when records are being evaluated, right? <laughs> Colleges are looking at your, your record of accomplishment. Uh, scholarship providers are looking at your record of accomplishment. Potential employers are looking at your, at your, at your record of accomplishment. But I want to tell you, if you try to stand before a holy God based on your spiritual record, that is not going to end well for you. If you try to stand before a holy God based on your spiritual transcript, that is not going to end well because your record, your transcript, and my record, my transcript is spotty at best. But there is one who was spotless. There is one who is perfectly righteous. There is one with a perfect record of righteousness. And when our lives are joined to Christ by faith, his record becomes our record. His righteousness is credited to our account. As a great hymn says, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Stand in Christ. Stand in his perfect record for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for a savior. We thank you that though we have failed in so many ways to walk this path, that Jesus walked it perfectly in our place. That he lived the perfect life we could never live. And that he died the vicarious death for sinners that we desperately needed and that he was raised victoriously from the dead so that for us, the the gateway to new life, abundant life, the gateway to eternity with you is wide open. And Father, I pray for anyone here in this room, I pray for anyone who is watching by video that your Holy Spirit would work in hearts right now in the lives of anyone who doesn't yet know Christ as Savior and that they would turn to Christ and trust in him and rely in what he has done for them. His death for sinners, his resurrection from the dead, and that all of their confidence would be in his record and not in their own. We pray that you would make us as your people, people who will go forth in this world and make an impact for your glory, that, that we will not, be pursuing what the world calls success, but that we would be pursuing Christ and his kingdom, and that we would be led by the Spirit, and that you would use all of our lives to to be eternally impactful for the glory of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. We want to thank you for being with us today. And if you're here today and you need to talk to a a pastor, uh, we're we're going to be out front right after our our service. Our ushers are going to to be dismissing you uh, row by row in just a moment. And uh, we'll have a time to to connect with our graduates and with one another uh, right out front as we go today. God bless you this week. I hope you've been blessed by this message. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I wanna invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd, I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at Fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.